Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. This episode is produced and sponsored by Lower Gentry Studios. Visit www.lowergentrystudios.com to see a bunch of cool original productions. And if you love this podcast, the biggest favor you could do for us is to tell your friends about it. I don't want you to forget, so go ahead. Do it. I'll wait. There. Was that too much to ask? Also, one more request before I begin. I'm moving next weekend. Can you come by and help? I tell you that most of the stuff will be boxed up and just needs to be put on the truck, but we both know that's never the case. All right, today's episode is about moral police, and I'll get there in a second. Let's start with what's going on in the Treasure Valley. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on in the Treasure Valley? Fry Foods, a food production company in Weezer, had a coronavirus outbreak. One employee tested positive initially. Fry Foods closed quickly, and they wanted to test all their employees prior to reopening. However, most of their employees didn't qualify for testing because they were asymptomatic. Fortunately, Crush the Curve Idaho, an independent company, helped Fry Foods test all of its 300 employees, and they were able to reopen quickly. Finally, Governor Little announced this week that widespread testing is about to commence here in Idaho with the goal of testing 2% of the population each month with high priority groups receiving tests first. These are the groups. Group one, those include healthcare workers, first responders, hospitalized patients, and residents of long-term care facilities showing symptoms of the virus. Also in group one are those being tested in connection with an outbreak cluster regardless of presence of symptoms. Group two, these are asymptomatic people that include residents and staff at jails and prisons, as well as those in homeless shelters. Anyone else who's showing symptoms would fall into group three, which also includes asymptomatic healthcare workers, first responders, mortuary staff, workers at essential businesses with high volume public facing working conditions, such as large retail or grocery stores. Groups four and five are mostly asymptomatic people, Group four consists of people living at schools with dorms or barracks, daycares with more than 10 children, and teachers with classrooms of more than 10 children. Employees of non-essential businesses where people congregate are also in group four. Group five, these include asymptomatic people returning from areas of community spread. So, which group do you fall in? I'm not in any group. I guess I can't get tested. That's a bummer. I want to get a Q-tip through my sinuses to the back of my throat, and I don't have any that long, so... Maybe someday. In other news, this is for real. I read this in Idaho Press. Someone threw frogs at a pedestrian on the Boise bench. Police are investigating. The frogs were found dead following the incident. Boise police report the most tragic part of this assault was that the song Hello My Baby was never performed. Nationally here in the United States, the death toll due to the coronavirus is approaching 100,000. I have some good news and some bad news about that number. Give me news. No, we do not want bad news. Just good news. There's good news, bad news, yeah. Let's start with the bad news. 100,000 deaths is the equivalent to 71 jumbo jets filled with suicidal skydivers unleashing their cargo over a populated urban area and each one of those skydivers crushing an innocent bystander as they hit the ground. But 
100,000 is only three hundredths of one percent of the American population. If the percentage of Americans dead were translated to alcohol percentage, a pilot could drink 500 beers on his lunch break and still be under the limit. However, if weighed, 100,000 dead Americans is the equivalent to the weight of 74 million quarter-pound beef patties. But if the population of the U.S. were the weight of a human head, it would be the equivalent of losing a tooth. However, 100,000 Americans placed in coffins end-to-end would stretch 132 miles. But 132 miles is only one one-thousandth the distance Forrest Gump ran. However, 100,000 deaths is 10,000 times the number of annual deaths due to accidental asphyxiation by necktie. But COVID deaths, although more frequent, are much less embarrassing. However, 100,000 deaths since March is about twice the number of abortions that normally occur in the same time period. But terminated fetuses don't technically count as deaths. More bad news. It is 100% certain that you will die. But the good news is it's unlikely that your death will be related to coronavirus. So keep watching over your shoulder because statistically, what usually kills people is the thing they're not expecting, except when it is that thing. Some of you probably found that bit offensive, but I did it for a reason. Well, I have a morbid sense of humor, but I did it for a second reason, to prove a point. Everything I said is arguably true. Some of you religious people may not agree with the die in the end part, but you can't prove eternal life. And in my opinion, you're in for a rude awakening when the lights slowly go dim or shut off quickly if you happen to get crushed by a skydiver. If you were offended, it is due to your system of morality. It is a feeling, not a fact. Let's talk about morality policing. Who's that knocking? Who's that knocking? Who's that knocking up on my door? It's the moral police. It's the moral police. We're coming for you because we're better than you. The problem with pushing morality was famously pointed out by 18th century Scottish philosopher David Hume. This is from his treatise of human nature. In every system of morality, which I have hitherto met with, I have always remarked that the author proceeds for some time in the ordinary way of reasoning and establishes the being of a God or makes observations concerning human affairs, when of a sudden I am surprised to find that instead of the usual copulations of propositions is and is not, I meet with no proposition that is not connected with an ought or an ought not. This change is imperceptible, but is, however, of the last consequence. Now, a synonym for ought is should. So what Hume is saying is arguments such as these are irrational. The coronavirus is deadly, so we should all stay at home. Or a stay-at-home order is a threat to our personal liberty, and we should not enforce it. Something may be true, but morality is morality, and it's always purely subjective. If you pay close attention, this change from objective truth to morality is usually where communication breaks down between two rational people. So let's define our terms really quickly. Morality is a particular system of values and principles of conduct, and ethics are moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. 
Usually, morals are attributed to the individual, and ethics are a way of functioning in a group. And I love moral conundrums. Let me give you an example. What would you do in this situation? A well-known scientist has a heart condition and needs a transplant immediately. If he survives, he will likely contribute to projects that will save thousands, possibly millions of lives in the future. Do you move him to the top of the transplant wait list? Why or why not? Now, imagine there's a nearby prison. Inside that prison is a prisoner who is sentenced to death next year. He's not appealing his sentence. He does not want to die before his scheduled electrocution, or if it's in Idaho, his hanging. Do you kill him against his will and harvest his organs to save the scientist? Why or why not? What if in the first scenario, moving the scientist to the top of the wait list caused the death of another heart transplant candidate lower on the list? Is passively allowing someone to die worse than killing someone? Why or why not? Obviously, these decisions are tricky, and the previous example is based on the trolley problem. Let me explain the trolley problem. The modern version is credited to Philippa Foote, and it was actually featured hilariously on the show The Good Place. I recommend that show if you haven't checked it out. And it goes as follows. There is a runaway trolley barreling down the railroad tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You're standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. However, you notice that there is one person on the side track. You have two options. Do nothing and allow the trolley to kill the five people on the main track, or pull the lever, diverting the trolley onto the side track where it will kill one person. Which is the more ethical option, or what is the right thing to do? Now, when most people are presented with this dilemma, they claim that they would do the least harm and divert the track. But I don't like surveys, so I did some digging around to see if this dilemma has ever been tested in a lab. And I actually found a quasi-scientific example. If you want to see how people actually react to the trolley problem in real life, go check out the show Mindfield, Season 2, Episode 1. It's on YouTube. The host, Michael Stevens, runs the trolley problem on unsuspecting subjects. He creates a fake train track control room with monitors running pre-recorded footage. An actor gives the subjects a lesson on how the tracks can be changed. The actor leaves the room. The monitors then show a train approaching a group of five railroad workers that are clearly distracted. In front of the subject is a switch that allows her to reroute the train to a second track that has just one distracted worker on it. What do you think the people do? Well, you should watch the show because I don't want to give it away. You would be very surprised. The most exciting aspect is when someone has a complete mental breakdown because of the stress of deciding who lives and who dies. Very unethical, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Isn't that the best TV anyway? So, essentially, there is no right or wrong answer to the trolley problem. Act and kill someone, or leave the world in its current state and allow more people to die. Morality can't be boiled down simplistically. It's always difficult to navigate because it's a human invention. When we argue incessantly about oughts and shoulds, there is a lack of understanding about how each of us think individually when we act. It's easier to assume another person is an asshole than to consider which facts that person is taking into account or what moral principles are extremely important to that person and which aren't. Here's my final scenario for you. You go to purchase a car. 
The first car salesman you encounter tries to sell you an electric vehicle. This salesman's moral compass points him in the direction of single-handedly saving the environment. That's why he recommends the electric car. You are unconvinced by a sales pitch for whatever reason. Maybe you travel long distances frequently and quick charging still isn't efficient enough for you, or maybe it's just out of your price range. Imagine that car salesman becomes incredibly condescending after you tell him no, without hearing your reasons. He then accuses you of trashing the planet and tells you to leave. Then you visit a second car salesman that is equally concerned about the environment. You have an identical interaction with this car salesman, but when you say no, he becomes inquisitive. Instead of kicking you off his lot, he finds the cleanest solution that you will agree to. He's not inflexible. Maybe you'll be more likely to purchase a zero-emission vehicle next time. Maybe not. Now, for me, taking the approach of the second car salesman usually works when I want to get through an impasse with someone. So if you know me and you've seen me act like the first person, it's because I know that you have a short fuse and my moral hierarchy places my personal entertainment over your feelings of agitation. All right, let's read a joke from a hat. Take a joke from a hat when you read it, I'll bet that you make someone laugh. It's a joke from a hat. All right. What did Chuck Norris's cowboy hat do when it was threatened by a gang of henchmen? Nothing. Hats are inanimate, idiot. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it. I may or may not release a podcast next week because I'll be participating in the I-48, which is a 48-hour film competition here in the Treasure Valley. I suggest you all purchase online tickets to view the creativity here in the local film community. Stay healthy. 